Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Founders Create with Tyler of Antler. Welcome, Tyler, to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. So, Tyler, tell us about yourself and what's your role with Antler. Yeah, so uh, originally from the United States, I grew up in North Carolina uh, and have spent the last seven years of my career um, building and growing early stage technology companies across across Southeast Asia, uh, including Vietnam, uh, working out of Singapore, spending time working in India, um, and uh, I'm the co-founder and partner of Antler US. Um, so joined the Antler team a year and a half ago um, with our original team and uh, worked to launch our first two programs in Singapore uh, and just moved over to the US a month ago uh, to help lead our expansion into North America. Okay. So can you uh, discuss uh, in more detail the role of accelerators or the role that Antler is playing for the startup ecosystem? Yeah. Um, I mean, so the first sort of caveat I would, would share is um, we don't consider ourselves an accelerator um, in the traditional sense. Uh, we actually call ourselves a startup generator. And what we believe is the, the Antler model is really built on solving uh, a different problem than than traditional accelerators are solving. So, just traditional accelerator is you have a team, they have an idea, uh, and they come in and join an accelerator, uh, and that accelerator is intended to sort of surround them with very smart advisors and mentors um, to help them raise capital, um, and I mean, as the name suggests, to accelerate uh, their growth. And the Antler business model is really built around a different premise in that the real barrier to more innovation happening, um, not just in the United States, but across the world, we fairly strongly believe that that barrier is talent, specifically talent matching, so co-founders finding each other. Um, so if you look at the, the traditional accelerator model, it's built on a pretense that uh, really strong teams have already found each other uh, and are working on exciting ideas. Uh, and what we see in, in most markets is finding really strong co-founders for people who want to start companies is actually becoming the biggest barrier. Raising capital um, is really no longer as big of a barrier as it used to be, especially if you have a strong team in place. Raising capital um, has gotten more and more straightforward over the last 10 years. And the other barrier uh, that, that used to slow down innovation was uh, technology. So access to the different types of technology that you needed to innovate. And as technology continues to democratize and you have more and more access to services like cloud computing and uh, artificial intelligence um, and even just the ability to build a website, all of that becomes platformed uh, and accessible to anybody. Um, what we really strongly believe is that finding the right person to build a company with is the last remaining big barrier to innovation. So the role that Antler plays in that is we want to build an infrastructure that helps talented, driven, smart founders 
find complementary co-founders so that they can build strong teams and go out and then raise capital and, and, and scale. Uh, so the role Antler plays is if you think about uh, an MBA class, but number one, you're not spending $150,000. Antler actually pays the founders uh, to join us. And number two, there's no class. Uh, the only intention anybody has by joining Antler is to start a company. So you're surrounded by a hundred other people who are passionate and have a really diverse set of skills and backgrounds that want to start companies that each and every one of our founders can, can find a complimentary co-founder match with. Okay. So you mentioned that uh, your uh, business model is somewhat different from the traditional accelerators, but don't you think uh, uh, generally the world globally is coming towards a, a uniform universal model for equity that is being followed by the different accelerators? You know, it usually ranges from 100 to 150K against 7 to 10 percent. Um, yeah, I mean, I think investment, quantum and, and, and equity is, in my opinion, becoming more and more standardized as it, to be honest, as it becomes uh, more prolific and, and more transparent, right? So uh, I think in the very beginning of venture capital, which was, you know, the last 15 years is when venture capital really started to take off and it's been growing out of its nascency. There was a lot of variability and the standard deviation of deals was very high, uh, mostly because it wasn't very transparent. So there wasn't as much common knowledge about uh, what's fair for everyone. Um, so as, as venture capital becomes more prolific, I think it'll continue to become more and more consistent. Um, and the types of deals that founders can get and the types of deals that investors get uh, will continue to normalize so that it is a fair equation. I mean, at the end of the day, everyone in a venture capital deal, the investors, the founders, everybody, they're, they're all by default incentivized to align interests, right? I mean, the only way anybody in a venture capital investment is successful is by the company being successful. So everyone's interests are aligned. Um, I think a lot of the... Uh, variability in different venture deals over the years has has not been malicious um and i think there are some outlying cases of that that there's an availability bias of thinking that there's been sort of malicious misconduct by investors or founders etc i think that that's an outlier i think most of the variability has come by the industry being so young venture capital being such a young investment class there's just been a lot of trial and error um, figuring out what is the right way to align everybody's incentives in the short term and the long term. Um, and I feel like we're getting to a much more consistent uh, viewpoint on at each stage of a company, what is a fair amount of dilution? What is a fair amount of equity? Um, there's a lot of common knowledge about how equity should be divided um, that I think most uh, smart investors uh, subscribe to. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that we're getting towards sort of a more universal and consistent model, uh, which is good because that makes everything more efficient, right? Um, not having so much variability in what a venture capital deal looks like helps people get deals done faster and helps companies focus on what's really important, which is building their company. 
true, true. And uh, so, you know, what advice would you give to someone who's looking to get incubated or join your accelerator program and doesn't know where to start? So I believe your model, your application is interestingly very different from others. You just ask them to submit a LinkedIn profile while the others, you know, you have to fill up a form. So why it start the LinkedIn profile? Yeah, this is a good question. So, I mean, I think one thing that really separates Antler from any other program founders would join is that Antler is truly looking for individuals. Um, so at no point during the application process to the Antler program, uh, does anyone ever pitch uh, an idea or a business? There's no pitch deck. There's no pitch session. Um, it's all about the, the individual founders. Um, and what we're looking for in applicants is there's, there's five criteria that we look for. Number one is drive. You know, we want to see people who have done incredible things, who have a track record of being successful at everything that they um, do. Uh, and in general are just really excited about taking on big challenges in life. Number two is personal impact and communication. So people who are strong communicators um, can break down problems and communicate solutions easily, communicate their vision or, or what they want to do um, very easily and are good in interpersonal situations. So have high EQ um, and are good at working with people. Number three is problem solving. Um, so that's fairly straightforward, but the ability to break down problems into components um, and to create plans of action on how to uh, solve uh, the different challenges that you face. Number four, domain expertise. So we love to see candidates who have experience in exciting fields um, and know the problems and the challenges in those sectors or in those technologies or in those fields. Um, we, we, we tend to find that that tends to be a strong component to being an entrepreneur as you understand something about the world very deeply um, and are able to spot things that wouldn't from the surface seem like good opportunities because you understand that area so well. And then the fifth is what we call spike. Um, I like to say what makes you weird. Um, so I do tend to find that entrepreneurs are eccentric. Um, entrepreneurs tend to have um, things about them which would be considered quote unquote weird. And I think that's what makes entrepreneurs so interesting. Um, so the last thing we want to understand is sort of what makes you special? What are you really great at? Uh, what would you say at a dinner party makes you weird? And the reason that our, our application in the very beginning is just someone's LinkedIn profile is that, you know, we have 1,500 to 2,500 applications for an antler program, right? So there's a tremendous amount of people applying for 100 slots. Uh, to join one of our programs. Uh, and we feel that based on someone's LinkedIn profile and their past experience uh, and their accomplishments and the different things that they've worked on, um, we are able to make an initial assessment um, based on someone's past experience, whether we want to take them to the next stage of recruitment. And the next stage of recruitment is a more in-depth um, essay uh, which dives into some more specific questions about those five criteria and helping just better understand um, the applicant's drive, personal impact, problem-solving, domain expertise, and spike. Okay. 
Fair enough. And uh, is there any, uh, apart from this, uh, once you go towards the other five drives, so is there any like selection criteria, mechanics, or what eventually makes you, uh, you would, I am pretty sure, reach a point where multiple startups are appealing to you. So is it the cut feeling or is there any uh, calculation behind it, how to go about it? Um, so the way our recruitment process works, we have an initial screening and then we do um, the assessment form uh, where founders have an opportunity to tell us more about themselves um, and to answer some specific questions that we ask to try to understand better those five criteria in the, the candidates. Um, we then as a recruitment team read those responses uh, and make another filtering um, based on uh, the strongest responses we received uh, from those applications. Um, from there, the next stage is uh, the the face-to-face -face interviews. Um, so each candidate will get a chance to spend 45 minutes with one of our partners, um, discussing through their past experience, uh, and the partner will be assessing and asking questions to try to, again, more deeply understand uh, how that specific candidate um, exhibits those five criteria that we're looking for in founders. Um, and after the partner interview, uh, the founders are selected, the cohort is put together, um, and people will receive an acceptance letter uh, to join uh, the cohort with a hundred other uh, really exciting, talented founders. Okay. And so, do, do you want to discuss uh, about I, I've seen online that there are multiple success stories of Antler, but they want to discuss a couple of them that uh, maybe an underdog or something that's very close to your heart. Um, sure. I think yeah, there's a few examples I think that are uh, really close to my heart and that I think they really exhibit and illustrate the value that Antler creates for founding teams so one of the teams is our team Cognicep so they are doing human in the loop automation for robotic automation in warehouses and hospitality um, retail and incredibly exciting company um, the problem that they're working on is, is, is very exciting and we believe uh, it's, it's a massive market and will continue to grow. But the most exciting thing about Cognicept is that the three co-founders, Michael, Alok, and Ruchit, um, they did not know each other before joining the Antler program. They actually all three met in the Antler program. Um, and Michael had been working on this human in the loop uh, industry before um, and had sort of nascently began to build a solution but met Alec and Ruchit in the cohort. Um, they felt like the three of them cared a lot about this technology uh, and that they made a very complimentary team. Michael focusing on business development, uh, Ruchit focusing on building out their um, backend platforms and Alec focusing on building out uh, their tech infrastructure. And so they formed very early on in the program. Um, and it was an amazing testament to how powerful it is to join a cohort of a hundred other really talented people with diverse skill sets 
and the ability for people to build really strong teams. Um, so that team was formed. Uh, they immediately were able to secure a pilot partnership with a, a Google Ventures-backed uh, AGV company. Um, they were immediately able to secure a technology grant from the Singaporean government. Uh, and that allowed them to get off to uh, a really fast start and to start scaling the company up quite quickly um, just because of how strong the team was. And, and with that team, they were able to put together um, such a well thought out concept and business model. Um, and that team actually just secured um, a, a rather large seed investment from one of the world's best known um, venture capital firms. Um, I, I can't share exactly who that is um, mm -hmm. quite yet. Uh, the team will be uh, the ones that get to share that exciting news, but it's incredibly exciting, um, the, the, the VC firm that they've brought on board. And I think it's really a testament to uh, strong teams are able to accomplish really exciting things very quickly. Um, and that's really the whole focus for Antlers. If you can get the team right, the chances of a startup being successful are, are exponentially higher. Um, if the team is not right, or if the team has been formed um, because of convenience or because somebody can't find any other co-founders, I mean, finding co-founders out in the wild is a tremendously difficult activity. Um, and I, I think Cognizant is a great testament to uh, how powerful the Antler program can be to help really strong teams find each other. Um, same can be said about our Cove team. Uh, they came out of the same cohort. Three founders didn't know each other at all. Sophie Guillaume. Um, okay. Sophie Guillaume and, and Luca, um, who all met each other in the program. And, and again, um, they were able to grow and scale uh, their uh, shared living um, and uh, rental platform company uh, up to a million dollar ARR, uh, Singapore dollars, in less than six months while they were in our program. And uh, they also just raised a million and a half from three very well-known uh, VCs in Southeast Asia. Um, same can be said for Jesudo, who's raised a few hundred thousand dollars from angel investors coming out of the Singapore program. They're building uh, a coaching and training platform for uh, esports. Um, the same can be said for something on one of our SG1 teams that not only raised their seed round while they were in the Antler program, but are, are just right now securing their Series A um, from a well-known VC in Southeast Asia. Um, so I think we're starting to build some really exciting proof points that th the real power of Antler is helping smart, talented, driven people to find each other, to form strong teams. And as a strong team going out into the market and building a company, um, it, it, it's, it's really, there's so much potential and there's so much capital and there's so much opportunity um, if you can get the team right from day one. Okay. And so Antler is spread across four continents, seven countries. So can you share some key findings in regards to the quality of startups, founders, if you are to compare the countries? amongst themselves? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, what I would say is I, I don't think that there's an objective uh, better or worse quality of startups uh, by country or by region. Um, I think that 
the different ecosystems are at different stages of development. Um, but nowadays with, with the access to technology, um, the access to capital, I think the ability for an incredibly successful company to be built out of almost anywhere in the world is very high. Um, and again, you do have ecosystems which are at different stages of development. So the chance of a unicorn coming out of different places around the world is higher or lower depending on the age and the life cycle of the respective ecosystem. But I think what's incredibly exciting from my perspective is that that doesn't mean that a strong team couldn't form anywhere in the world, identify a really exciting opportunity and build a company which is able to scale and create massive impact um, very quickly. I don't think that is limited to where you are. You, you definitely don't have to be in the Bay Area to do that. You can be almost anywhere in the world. Uh, and if you're able to bring a really talented group of people together uh, and focus your attention on solving the problems, um, I think you can really do anything. And I find that incredibly exciting. Um, I mean, what I will say in terms of the geographic differences, you know, the, the different ecosystems are at different stages of development. So you obviously have the U.S. ecosystem, which is incredibly well-developed um, and is actually really going through um, a full, complete cycle right now in the sense that a huge wave of companies are now going towards IPO and exiting. And there's this exciting resurgence of sort of the next wave of technology getting ready to take off here in the U.S., which are focused on solving a whole new batch of problems like the environmental crisis, uh, AI and machine learning are becoming technologies which are finally uh, financially accessible to a whole new host of entrepreneurs. Blockchain is starting to recover from the sort of crypto hangover and a huge wave of entrepreneurs are, are building really amazing solutions to non-cryptocurrency problems with blockchain. Um, there's an incredible resurgence of the artisanal community. So you have these really fantastic companies that are taking an artisanal approach to everything from soap to uh, personal care to alcohol to food to dog care, um, which I find uh, incredibly exciting. So uh, the U.S. is a really developed ecosystem. And, and, and to me, coming into the second big wave uh, of innovation, or I guess, really uh, the third or fourth big wave. The first big wave being the dot-com. Uh, and after the dot-com, I think over the last 10 years, we've gone through uh, this incredible um, software wave of just software finally being accessible and scalable in a way that it's never been before and really um, changing almost every industry. Um, and now we're going into what I think to me is this infrastructure wave in the U.S. of um, really being able to make step change improvements in the infrastructure and the way that um, things are organized. Um, and if you look in comparison to other ecosystems, so take Southeast Asia where our first program is, um, Southeast Asia is a very nascent um, venture ecosystem and it's growing incredibly fast, but it's really in its first big wave um, of innovation. You can see that in Indonesia, I mean, in the last five years, $8 billion companies have been built um, in Indonesia. Um, and that is incredibly exciting. And so I think as 
these different ecosystems go through different growth cycles of lots of really exciting companies being built, those companies growing and scaling very rapidly, um, which does two things. One, it attracts more capital to the region, and two, it upscales a tremendous amount of uh, people. And that combination of upscaled people plus more capital coming into the region helps to continue to spur on uh, growth in that ecosystem, which I think, um, you know, that to me is exactly where Southeast Asia is right now. Um, but again, the chance of building a, you know, a, a unicorn in Southeast Asia, I mean, it can be done. It's been done um, more than eight times in the last five years. Um, so I think it's really just about growth stages, not necessarily that one ecosystem is better than the other. Okay. And so you mentioned about the maturity. So in the past two years, we've seen, uh, especially in the Bay Area, the median valuation of startups uh, at the seed stage going up to even uh, $9 million. So do you think that also plays a significant part when it comes down to the other ecosystems, the valuations? Yeah. And so, I mean, that's a great point that you brought up. And I think it, it it's actually um, going back to the original thing we discussed on the barriers to innovation. So uh, a previous barrier to innovation was capital uh, in that, you know, there was a limited amount of private capital being invested in really early stage startups. And so that was a barrier to uh, more companies being started. The whole valuation bubble and increase in valuation happening in the United States. So I, I fundamentally don't believe that the companies being built right now are more valuable than companies being built previously. Um, yes, you can make an argument that as technology continues to become cheaper and the ability to scale a company becomes easier and easier, that the sort of net present value of a company, which is um, captured a really promising business model is higher. Um, but I actually think that that's being driven more so by just the basic supply and demand of there is a tremendous amount of private capital these days wanting to invest in early stage innovation more so than there ever has been. Uh, and the number of new companies being launched has not been able to keep up with that rise in capital. Um, so you have a basic economic response to that of um, a lot of capital looking for good investments. Um, and that's obviously going to create upward pressure on the valuations of the companies, right? There's just more people that want to invest in these early stage companies. Um, so what's exciting for me, um, and one of the reasons why Antler exists is, to me, that perfectly illustrates the fact that capital is no longer the constraint to innovation um, because it's, it's, it's outgrowing. If, if capital were the constraint, the number of companies and the number of deals happening would much more closely follow the amount of capital available. Um, so to me, that really proves the point that finding strong co-founders is a bigger barrier to innovation. Um, and so the valuation bubble, while it's exciting and surfaces of anti metric, it does show how exciting starting companies is. In the long term, for the innovation ecosystem in the U.S. to be sustainable, it's not a good thing to allow that valuation bubble to get out of control, um, just because it, it creates situations where companies can't actually provide on the value that these private valuations. I mean, look at the, the tech IPOs happening right now. 
um, it's it's not good when private valuations get out of control, um, right? Because it creates a situation where that bubble can burst, which will ultimately cool down expectations of startups and, and ultimately slow down the whole sector. Um, so again, going back to the point, we really think that that shows that what Antler is trying to do and the problem that we're trying to solve is incredibly valuable because there's so much money looking to invest in great teams. What we're trying to do is just help more great teams find each other and form uh, and, and go out and access that capital. And so instead of creating a bubble by so much money wanting to invest in uh, a slow growing amount of startups, that we actually drive Delta and the number of startups that are being formed. Okay. So I think we've covered a lot. Thank you so much for tuning in, Tyler. So people, if you're looking to start a startup, be sure to log on to www.antler.co and click on the apply button. All you have to do is submit your LinkedIn profile and see how it goes. So they've, and Antler is a tough competition to get into. So they, today they have more than 10,000 people applying with only 320 getting started. So are you in the top three person? Find out yourself, log on to www.antler.co and see. Thank you so much, Tyler, for being on the show. Hey, Mustafa, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time and, uh, and look forward to catching up soon.